Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we conclude our series, Heaven and Hell, with a message titled, Ruling and Reigning with Christ. So let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about politics. You know, some time ago, comedian Russell Brand made the following statement. He said, I've never voted. Like most people, I'm utterly disenchanted with politics. Like most people, I regard politicians as frauds and liars and the current political system as nothing more than a bureaucratic means of furthering the augmentation and advantages of the economic elite. (laughs) Wow. Well, that kind of thinking is becoming alarmingly common. For reasons both good and bad, people are losing confidence in the system, and that bodes ill for all of us. But whether it's a sentiment that calls for the revolutionary end of our current system, change in the current system, or just disillusioned despair of things ever changing, both politics and politicians have been receiving a bad rap for some time now. One can tell it's the case by the words people use. That's politics, they say. And when they say that, it's never a compliment. You're behaving like a politician means you should be ashamed of yourself. You're being insincere. You know, some would add, well, praise God we won't have politicians in heaven. Well, are they right? If you side with that sentiment, I fear I have very bad news for you. The idea of the governance of heaven or the system of government employed in heaven often strikes people as very strange indeed. You know, I could have talked about a great many different things about heaven, that heaven is bodily and physical, that we will not know everything in heaven, but rather being fully human, we will continue to grow and progress, learning and accomplishing, but that we will do all for the glory of God. You know, I could have talked about what it means to see God as he is. So much to talk about. But I have chosen to speak on the matter of the governance of heaven. According to Revelation 22, verse 5, speaking of the age to come, John comments on the nature of heaven. And the night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. See, everything in John's description seems to agree with our sensibilities until we hear that we will reign forever and ever. We would translate that accurately to say, we will rule or exercise governance forever. Or the passage could read, we'll be a part of the political structure of heaven forever and ever. Now, is this a solitary text, or is this idea found in other locations in the Bible? Well, it may surprise some to discover it's a familiar theme, often repeated. Revelation 2, 26 to 27, the message to the church of Thyatira. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself received authority from my Father. Now that's a magnificent thought, containing a string of phrases as to our activities in heaven. Many of the phrases John employs come right out of Psalm 2, 6-9 where the Messiah will be given authority over all the nations and break them with a rod of iron. I think of the promise given to the church in Thyatira is most likely a picture of Christ's millennial rule. We might get a picture here of Jesus ruling the nations he defeats at Armageddon and of the subsequent millennial kingdom. Jesus promises the church of Thyatira, a church hard-pressed by persecution, his impending victory over all his enemies. 
And when that victory is secured, his people will share the responsibility of ruling the defeated nations with him. Now, during this era, the saints will have a particular role to play. They will actively participate in the political reign of Jesus the Messiah. Here's a word to the church of Laodicea. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So here the reference is not to the Old Testament, but a reference to the direct teaching given by Jesus to the 12 disciples in Matthew 19, 28 to 29. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. There are two things to notice here. First, Jesus promises the 12 a role of prominence in judging the 12 tribes of Israel. However, in Revelation, Jesus opens the privilege of reigning with him over all the nations that he has conquered in the second coming. Again, we think of the millennium. Second, Jesus seems to indicate that anyone who has sacrificed anything for his name and for the gospel while here on earth will receive a hundredfold return on that investment in heaven and in the life to come. There is clearly a reference to a time of the new heavens and the new earth. Then further on in Revelation 5, 9, and 10, we see not only are those who hope in him saved by the blood of Christ, but that Christ also bestows on his followers a future role in which they govern the earth. Speaking of Jesus, the text says, you were slain and your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here the reference seems to be the new heavens and the new earth. There are other passages in Scripture that speak of that as well. For example, 2 Timothy 2, verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So clearly, the Bible makes plain that everything that belongs to Christ is also given to us, his people. The only exception is the divinity of Christ. In this matter, he alone rules. However, the saints will be included in his rule. So it's clear that we will participate in some way with God's governance. But lest, if we think this is a matter restricted to the earth, we have not yet seen how great this promise is. We will rule with Christ over all the works of his hands. And lest we think this is only a promise related to the millennium, Well, Revelation 22, verse 5, in speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, and our final state says, we shall reign with him forever and ever. But how are we to understand these promises specifically? Well, consider God's original intent in the creation. In Genesis 1, after God had created the man and the woman, he gives them the very first command. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, that is, have rulership or governance or authority over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So it's image bearers of God, the man and the woman and their offspring were to fill the earth and to rule it. Ruling refers to governance. They were to direct the affairs of the creation according to the design of the Creator. 
Now, initially, we see that as Adam names all the creatures. Now, the act of naming is an act of expressing authority over something or someone that's being named. It is also determining their identity. And that's what Adam is doing in his first activity. But he's also doing more. See, naming involves understanding. When we name something, we're engaged in beginning of the scientific enterprise. Naming has to do with observation. Adam demonstrates that he has the beginning of an understanding of the functions inherent in all the animals. He's finding out what God has in mind when he created them and also how they are to be governed. Now, we know that a great deal of that was lost in the fall, but further redeemed. God's intention is that his image bearers would rule over all the works of his hands, and that intention has never gone away. You know, therefore, whatever the Bible means by ruling and reigning with Christ in eternity, well, it must be related to the original plan given to Adam, rule over all the works of God's hands. See, that command to rule over everything is related to the covenant that God made with Abraham. You know, in Genesis 12, God makes a covenant with one man to whom he promises three things. First of all, he promises that he would bless Abraham. That would mean that God promises Abraham that God will use all his resources as God for Abraham's benefit. So being blessed means that Abraham has so much that he can use for his own benefit. And that in itself is an overwhelming promise. And then second, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation more than can be numbered. Now, nationhood means governance, and that's what we find in the teaching of Jesus as well. And then finally, God promises Abraham and his offspring a land flowing with the blessings of the creation, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so there is land, there's property, there's the created order that God asks for the descendants of Abraham to rule over. This all sets the stage for what God has in mind for every single follower of Christ. Beginning the last week of November, tune into Back to the Bible Canada's YouTube channel or at backtothebible.ca to view Dr. John's video Advent Christmas series. Each week leading up to Christmas Eve, Dr. John shares the significance and intimacy of the most incredible of events, the birth of the Messiah. And included in each episode, enjoy the inspirational Christmas music of award-winning artist Brian Dirksen, the Pilkey Sisters, and Stephanie Redekop. What a wonderful way to prepare for Christmas Day. And just an added reminder that there's a limited number of copies of our 2022 scripture calendar making the most of your salvation remaining. The 2022 calendar recently was referred to as the best yet and is available for free and reminds each of us both in image and in word of the great blessings for all of those who believe. For more information about Back to the Bible Canada or to offer a gift to support, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. When it comes to Abraham, it seems at first blush, it had only to do with the land of Israel. The descendants of Abraham are called upon to take the land God has promised them. They are to exercise dominion over it 
by driving pagan worshipers from it, and they are to rule that land as representatives of God. And that's the drama of the book of Joshua and of the kingdom of David. It's the struggle to rule and reign over that which God has promised them. So can we take that drama from the Old Testament and apply it to our activities in eternity? Now, there are those who have wondered whether ruling with Christ relates to actual real estate. And to some, that sounds crassly commercial. We imagine a land baron seizing land and holding it. Are we to think of an actual physical land over which the saints rule? And the answer to that question can be found in an often neglected passage from the Old Testament, Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah has been prophesying that Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Babylonians because of their sins. And this takes place during the 10th year of Zedekiah's reign, which would have been less than one year until the Babylonians would destroy Jerusalem and seize all the land of Israel as their own. At the time of Jeremiah's writing, the Babylonian armies are surrounding the city and the city is under siege. The future looks grim, it even looks hopeless. Surely for Israel, death and destruction and the dissolution of the nation lies before them. So to Jeremiah 32, 6 and 7. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. So Anathoth was about five kilometers north of Jerusalem. And no doubt, at that very moment, when Jeremiah is buying the property, the boots of the Babylonian soldiers might have been standing on the, the very ground he was buying. So from the perspective of what was happening, the purchase is ludicrous. In less than a year, and Jeremiah knew it, Judah would be taken into exile, and the land he was purchasing would be under the dominion of the Babylonians. So why buy something that, in effect, is worthless? Well, next, God reiterates to Jeremiah that his anger is provoked against Jerusalem for their sins. And yet, in a time in the future, Israel will return to their land. And in the future, God declares Fields shall be bought for money, and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah. See, God will restore fortunes. Nothing's going to be lost. God's going to redeem that which has been stolen because of sin. God promises he will redeem it. See, at first reading, one can be excused for thinking this promise relates entirely to the return of the exiles and the resettlement of the land under you know, Ezra and Nehemiah until one reads the next chapter of Jeremiah. There God promises that a branch, the Messiah, will rule in Jerusalem and execute judgment. In this time, Jerusalem will dwell securely. The image of Jeremiah buying a field points to a time when the Messiah, not the Babylonians nor the Persians, will rule the land. This is when men and women will take possession of houses and lands, and that's what Jeremiah was doing in the purchase. He's buying property to be owned during the reign of the Messiah. Well, consider Jesus' parable of the ten minas in Luke 19. There he makes promises to one who's faithful. In the days when the king receives his kingdom, the faithful servant will be put in charge over 10 cities. Still another is put over five cities. And as strange as this language sounds to us, we must think about the new heavens and the new earth as real and a physical place. The kingdom to come will also have citizens who have real physical bodies, and therefore they will require somewhere to live. And for that reason, we must think of literal houses and lands and property and the administration of such things. 
Jeremiah, in a symbolic act, secured his own property in the days to come. See, I've often asked a question to people when I teach about heaven. And I say, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, would we still need laws? Well, invariably, everyone answers by saying, well, no. But then I challenge that way of thinking. In an unfallen world, would we still have laws that tell us, you know, on which side of the road we need to drive? Well, unfortunately, most think that the only function of law is to restrain evil. In the present order of things, that is true. Paul tells us that God ordains that rulers in the present day would be a terror to wrongdoers. Good societies function in that way. So clearly, those laws will forever be unnecessary in the world to come. But in the world that will soon be revealed, laws will be enacted to maximize the good and enhance the glory of God. So what does ruling and reigning with Christ look like? Well, if you go back to a verse that we often quote at Christmas, there's a wonderful secret. Isaiah 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. As time goes on, the government of Christ will not be static, it will increase. So does that sound strange? And how can his government increase? Does that indicate that his government is not complete in the new age? Well, in Daniel 7, verse 21, we're told of the time when the saints possessed the kingdom. Then later in verse 27 of the same chapter, an explanation is given. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. So a picture should be forming. Jesus progressively expands his government through his people, in which all the dominions are governed and serve and obey Christ through the governance of his people. Now, in Revelation 22, John gives a vision of the holy city. Here's what he says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. So imagine an earth with various cultures and various governors or kings. All of the cultures that make up the new heavens and the new earth will be governed. And furthermore, the rulers of the earth come into the holy city, bringing the best of their cultural achievements, and they lay them at the feet of Jesus in honor and praise of the great king. And they wish to acknowledge that all they've accomplished and did was to celebrate him. And over time, as their cultures develop, they keep striving for more ways to honor and glorify the one who sits on the throne and of the Lamb. Well, is that it? Are we only to govern one another? Well, no, it's not. According to Randy Elkhorn, commenting on the expansion of the government of the Messiah found in Isaiah 9-7, we're called upon as the saints to expand into previously ungoverned territories. So is that fantasy, or is that what God has prepared? So interestingly enough, not only does Elkhorn think that way, others do as well. Erwin Lutzer, longtime pastor of the famous Moody Bible Church in Chicago, said, The discovery of the immensity of the universe does not diminish, but actually magnifies man's role in the cosmos. For if Christ is to rule over all things, and we are to reign with him, then we will be ruling over all the galaxies, affirming Christ's lordship over the whole universe. 
and Dr. Joseph Dillow, former professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, reflecting on Psalm 8, verse 6, which says that God has given man dominion over the works of his hands, believes that this psalm includes all the works of God's fingers. He says this must include the sun, the moon, and the stars. He says the future kingdom embraces the entire created order, that this has been placed in subjection to man. Clearly, when we think of heaven, we can no longer think of an endless vacation in which we plan on living at the edge of a golf course and sipping fruit drinks and eating caviar. We should think of a physical life with a physical world, which is to God's glory, a glory that we worship, and a God who gives his followers a visionary task that fills our hearts with great joy. And we should think of the universe that he has created that continues to expand. Well, so much to think about. You know, I end this this whole notion of ruling and reigning with Christ with the words of Jesus. Luke 16 verse 10 records Jesus is saying, one who is faithful in little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. So our life on this present earth at this present time is connected with the life to come. This is the training ground for ruling and reigning with Christ. This present life is but the first lesson in our task to trust Christ and redound all glory to Him. And as we learn this lesson well, we are being trained for our role in eternity. Playing harps on a bland, lifeless cloud forever? Most certainly not. Ruling and reigning with Christ for all eternity? Yes. Begin to develop an appetite for it now, so you can hardly wait for it to begin. Thanks so much, Sean. A great series. Let me ask you, what do you think we should anticipate the role of God's people being in heaven? What will that look like? Well, you know, I mean, I've tried to give just a slight understanding today. Um, (laughs) I want to say, get my book. And really, you should, uh, because I think there's so much to learn about the plans that God has for us. Uh, Try to remember that whatever we're going through today is but the first chapter of an eternal adventure, and that adventure will be learning, growing, creating, advancing the cause of the glory of Christ, and it it consists of something that's dynamic and not static. So, you know, all of that makes heaven sound heavenly rather than, you know, the the common uh, myth that we sometimes hold it's an everlasting church service that just goes on and never stops. Thanks again, John, and remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Talk about heaven and hell has been forgotten in the present hour. For this reason, current evangelicalism sounds so very different from the kind of faith we find in the pages of the New Testament. In his preaching, Jesus depicted a roadway leading to either heaven or hell. The broad road leads to destruction. The narrow path leads to life. These are words written by Dr. John Neufeld in his newest book, Heaven and Hell. What could be as important as understanding the truth behind the reality of heaven and hell? Choose to request this new book today as our free gift for the month of November only. Call us now at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. And while you're there, 
consider offering a financial gift to support Bible teaching you can trust in important Bible teaching resources like Heaven and Hell.